a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. And we are recording this episode of Dinner Table Politics in the wake of the United States getting really upset at Iran. Iran has shot down a drone, a surveillance drone, that was, according to the United States, in international waters, according to Iran, and what may well be forged information, it was over Iranian airspace. What was it surveying? It's a spy drone. We were spying. On what? On who? We were spying on Iran, probably on our on their nuclear facilities. So now we already went through all that. Wasn't there a war? I remember it was a pretty big deal. There was we a never Q found anything instead of an N. That would be Iraq, not Iran. Oh, but and what's what's interesting is that Donald Trump was very critical of the Iraq war throughout the campaign. I mean, if you go back to the actual time Wait, of the... Wait, he's being a hypocrite? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. No. Yes, I'm afraid it's true. Donald Trump is not being consistent and is being hypocritical and is saber-rattling. Didn't we talk about saber-rattling before? No. Are you familiar with the term saber-rattling? He's got is his that, saber is and that he's like, it. Is that like when you have like one of those toy lightsabers and... When they're not extended all the way, you can, like, rattle them around. The plastic makes noises. I think that the end result or is like, pretty much the or same, Or, like, yes. the ones that light up and stuff, so they have batteries. And so if you shake it, you can hear the batteries. Uh, well, I guess that would be one way to describe Case it. closed. Case closed. But the, the um, Trump administration has been so critical of previous Republican administrations that took action in the Middle East... 
And yet the Trump administration has been extraordinarily interventionist. They've gone in and we've gotten involved in Syria. Uh, we've gotten involved in the fight against ISIS, which is something that he said he would do in the campaign. But the idea of going to war with Iran is just so troubling on so many levels that I think we need to discuss it and discuss the implications of it. Because Iran is a much more difficult country to deal with than Iraq. Why? Well, it's larger, for one, not just How geographically. Uh, the population is much bigger. And the uh, standing army of Iran, uh, you know, Iraq's standing army essentially imploded the minute we invaded. And we don't think the same thing would likely happen with Iran. Why did we take so long in Iraq then? Why were we, like... Well... If it, if the army, like, imploded, wouldn't they just, like... Like, wouldn't they just give up immediately? Well, yeah, the army would. But what you were dealing with, and what we're still dealing with to some degree in Iraq, is guerrilla warfare. You're dealing with insurgents. You're not dealing with the kind of military action that you had in World War II, where everybody was in a uniform, and everybody was labeled, and everybody knew exactly who they ought to be fighting. Ever since the war on terror began after the 9-11 attacks... Back then, President Bush said this is going to be a different kind of war because we are not necessarily declaring war against the state and we are declaring war against terrorists and the people who harbor them. And so the war has gone into all kinds of different countries to deal with all kinds of different people. And they're not people who label themselves as combatants. So that's been a problem. Going against Iran, my guess is that would be an even bigger problem because Iran is not the kind of secular government that Iraq was. Saddam Hussein, yes, these were Muslims. Yes, Saddam Hussein was nominally Muslim, but he was essentially a secular dictator. And in Iran, the government is not the source of power. The source of power are the mullahs, are the um, ayatollahs. They're the religious leaders. And so you'd have to deal with what some have called the largest, most powerful military force in the Middle East. But after you're done with that, you have all of these true believers who are going to come after you in a way that uh, would, I think, make Iraq look a whole lot easier. I hate talking about Middle Eastern stuff because I just am so, like, I don't, I don't understand any of it. It's all so confusing to me and, it like... Well, when you say it's confusing, I wish I wish there was just like one Wikipedia page that I could read about like conflict in the Middle East, you know, and then I would be like, okay, I get that, but it's not. There's like 500 Wikipedia pages, okay. and I just don't have the time. <laughs> you and need to sift so through many, Wikipedia. It, there's just so it's so like there's so many layers to it, and I don't know why. Why are we even mad at Iran? What What did they do? Well, so Iran, uh, during the Obama administration particularly, um, was developing nuclear weapons. And we knew that for a fact? Yes. we How? knew. Well. Drones? No. Well, they announced that they had a nuclear program, but insisted, insisted it was just for fuel, that they weren't oh, actually say, going to. Just for fun. Just for it's, fun. It's just for fun. It's just for fun. It's a hobby. It, well, they, they essentially were trying to say that. Nobody believed them. But they had all this enriched we uranium. We want to make really cool lava lamps. Yeah. Those like, would be scary lava lamps. Melt your face off. 
not if like the glass was thick enough or something. I don't know the science behind nuclear. Lava I don't lamps. either, and I don't know that there's lava involved that would make lava lamps okay. look cool. Okay, well, let's agree to disagree. All right. Well, so yeah, they were developing a nuclear capacity that would be able to be used for nuclear weapons. And they were doing it amid a whole bunch of rhetoric from Iranian leaders talking about wiping Israel off the map. And so one of the problems with nuclear weapons in Iran is we're not as scared that they're going to launch them at the United States as we are that they're going to use them to completely destroy Israel. Oh, they have They have essentially vowed that Israel is an illegitimate state and it needs to be wiped off the map. So, but a lot of, but a lot of like people that live in Israel are Palestinian and Muslim and stuff. That seems, well, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole idea. I mean, if you, you want guess, to talk about something that's complicated, I guess if they're already talking about wiping a whole country off the map, they're not really that concerned about collateral damage. Well, these are not people that are dealing when, when you're talking about the religious leaders who are the extremists who insist that they have a religious calling to be able to create turmoil in the world. Uh, I remember President Ahmadinejad, who came to Columbia University in 2007. And at one point, somebody asks him, what do you do? Um, how do you handle homosexuality in Iran? And he says, we don't have any homosexuals in Iran. And he says, do you know of any? And we'll go visit them, essentially, and kill them. I mean, this is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily repressive regime. But um, Ahmadinejad would talk about the 12th imam. That is one of the, the – there were 12 imams that were um, – I suppose they're kind of the equivalent of apostles – if Muhammad is the equivalent of Jesus, which he's not. I mean, I'm giving you all kinds of terrible Muslim I know, I theology feel, I here. feel like we are very <laughs> ill-equipped to discuss this. But there was a 12th imam who disappeared. I'm reading the Wikipedia page for Iran right now, just trying to catch up. Oh, that'll help. It's so long, though. That'll, right now I'm on cuisine. Well, that'll be good. Well, the 12th imam has been prophesied. He disappeared. And he's been prophesied to return at a time of great turmoil. And so Ahmadinejad said it's his responsibility and Iran's responsibility to create the turmoil in order to allow the 12th imam to return. But like Christians believe that Jesus is going to return at great turmoil. So maybe they'll like cancel each other out. Uh, like he'll, he'll inadvertently bring back every, like every religion's major deity. And then, and then we're all set. And then it's like end game. Well, do you know of any Christian leaders that are saying, let's make the world a more violent place so that Jesus will come back? I'm hearing a lot on great nutso-cuckoo stuff from extremists, even Christian extremists, but I'm not hearing anything like that. I don't know. There was that one cult that that like they all drank poison or something because they thought that aliens were going to come oh, yeah. take their bodies Oh, yeah. Heaven's away. Gate? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. One of the guys in that cult was the brother of Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek. Oh, very sad. Rip. Rip. All right. Well, Hopefully you're having a good old time with the aliens now. Well, I hope so. I don't know. Anyway, as we, we get back from our break, we're going to talk about what the United States is going to do and whether we need to be worried that war is right around the corner. Okay. So I'm encouraged somewhat by some of the things that President Trump is saying today. 
I, I know. Cannot I know. relate to that sentiment. Cannot relate to that sentiment. No, I'm. I'm I, President Trump initially said this is terrible. These guys are going to pay a huge price. Everybody was expecting some kind of retaliation. That was my favorite drone. That and was you my favorite killed drone. it. He has since backed down a little bit. He's going to put the head of a drone in the Iranian president's bed. Ooh, that would be good. Make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah, I don't know what a drone's head looks like. Uh, there's not as much blood as with a horse's head. But um, that that distracted me there a little bit. So President Trump initially said, okay, we're gonna, these guys are going to be in serious trouble and you know, you're going to find out. We're going to strike back. And then he's come back and said, well, nobody's life was lost. Nobody was killed. There was nobody in the drone. He even said that, which is like, that's nice to know. There's nobody in the drone. <laughs> well, robots have feelings too. Like, haven't, hasn't he seen Wally? Oh, jeez. Don't get me started on that. I love that movie. That's, that's actually quite a, kind of a fun movie. But robots. That could not... have been Eva. Yes, it could have been, but it probably wasn't. Uh, he's also said. This may well have been a mistake. They have may, may have mistakenly thought that we were in Iranian airspace, and so they decided to retaliate. Whoops. Oh, can't take it back now. I already pressed the button. So both of those statements suggest to me that he is looking for a way to back down. I don't think Donald Trump wants to get into a war. I, I know that when he was elected in 2016, Members of my family, my sisters particularly, were panicking and said, he, he wants to get us into a war. He wants to blow up the world. I don't think he wants to do that. I don't think that's helpful. Uh, it's not because I think he's extraordinarily principled. I think it's because he recognizes that the kind of war that we would get into with Iran would not help his reelection chances. Although there's some argument about that too, because wars... People tend not to switch horses in midstream if if you're at war, and so um, I feel, I don't know I feel that way if you're not the aggressor, like in World War II, like when we got you know bombed by like at Pearl Harbor and stuff and right. But then you look at like Vietnam and stuff, and nobody like well that, that was a pretty big uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, in Vietnam... People were not happy about that. That's right. Uh, and Vietnam actually persuaded Lyndon Johnson not to run for re-election. But in 1972, when Richard Nixon ran for re-election and the Vietnam War was very unpopular and George McGovern was running on a platform saying we need to pull out of Vietnam, the American people re-elected Richard Nixon in a landslide. Huge landslide. So, And, and the other examples in 2004... George W. Bush was not particularly popular. The Iraq War was not particularly popular. And John Kerry was, he wasn't saying we were going to pull out of Iraq, but he was essentially saying it's the wrong war at the wrong time. And the polling afterwards suggested that people were not comfortable just turning over the keys to the war room to John Kerry in the middle of that war. So... So maybe Trump is making some calculus that if he can... That is a horrible thing to do, though. Starting a war just for your own political gain. That's awful. Have you ever seen the movie Wag the Dog? No. Uh, this was this was a movie that came out right before um, the Lewinsky scandal. And it's a movie about... It's got Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro play um, people who essentially make a fake war... 
against Albania to help a president get reelected. It's a very funny movie, actually. And so they create a song for the war, and Woody Harrelson plays this war hero who isn't a war hero and is actually a nutcase. But they manufacture a war that doesn't exist. And during the Lewinsky scandal, actually the day that Monica Lewinsky testified before the grand jury, Bill Clinton launched an airstrike against Iraq. And he was asked in a press conference, have you seen the movie Wag the Dog? And the accusation was, this is Wag the Dog all over again. Uh-huh. And during impeachment, Bill Clinton did it again. He launched another airstrike against Iraq. Maybe he was just bored. Maybe he was just bored. Uh, I don't know. And but That's nuts. That's nuts. That's crazy that one dude can do that. Well, the Constitution gives the power of the military directly to the president yeah but that was that was back in the day when to get the military together you had to like send some guy on a horse with a handwritten note to all the farmers and be like go get your guns we're gonna march a couple miles like it it was way before we had drones and airstrikes right but i don't know i that just that's just crazy to me well but but Actually, now, I think it's more important than ever to be able to make quick decisions when you're out on the military field. because If you're a military commander, yeah. If you're trained in that, not if you're just some dude. Well, some dude is the president of the United States. Yeah, and he was a draft... A, like, <laughs> draft dodger for yeah. bone spurs. I don't know what military leadership skills he has. Well, we made a decision a long time ago that it makes more sense to have a civilian as the commander-in-chief than to give that to professional military people. Well, it's overlapped sometimes. It has, and most of our presidents have had some kind of military experience. And I I I think it's useful in that they understand... What it's like for the what they're asking of the soldiers, I right. guess, like right. the the human sacrifices that have to be not not that was the wrong way to put it. Well, the, the human the, sacrifices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. You're not saying we're putting people on altars. Yeah, or, we're not tying them up so King Kong can come grab them. That's but. correct. But yeah, Donald Trump has defied so many precedents, and not in good ways. The, the idea that we have a president of the United States that has no understanding of the military, no understanding of the sacrifices involved, at least firsthand, is very troubling. Maybe he's seen Saving Private Ryan. Maybe he has. But the, when, when you see, you know, the news report said, for instance, that our strikes against Syria were motivated when Ivanka came in and said, had tears in her eyes and said, look at all these sad children. And he said, oh, geez, well, I need to keep my daughter from crying. Who so, said that? Was is that true? Well, those are the news those are the speculations in the news reports. I don't know. I, I don't know if we have That seems like conjecture. Seems like conjecture. But this is not a man who was motivated by solid principle. Over and over again, this is a guy who was motivated by whatever way the wind is blowing at the moment. It's it's interesting to compare that with like the extremist leaders who are motivated only by principle. Right. And and so there there's some so benefits. There's not, there's not really... You gotta find a happy medium. 
Well, I want to talk about, actually, this may be a bit of a change of subject, but I want to talk about somebody who's trying to find that happy medium and not getting great results. We'll talk about that when we get back from our break. So let's check in with another politician from the other side, our good friend Joe Biden. Mm, Joey. Joey. So Joe Biden was speaking to a group of rich donors and he that was, sounds like a fun party. Well, it's really kind of depressing that presidential candidates spend all of their time, 90% of their time, raising money. Yeah. That's Camp- all campaign do. finances suck. We've kind of We've kind of gone kinda over that. that. And there are a number of reasons why that's a problem. But Joe Biden was saying to them, people are trying to otherize you. And I don't want people to think that you're the other. I think you people are wonderful, and I want, I'm not going to do anything that is going to really upset you when I'm elected president. And what do you think the AOC-type people thought when they heard that? What I, would be don't, your... I don't think they liked that very much. And why not? Um, because the 1% are evil. Right. Well, this is somebody who's trying to straddle a line. He's trying very hard to sound like he's the kind of Democrat that young people who flock to AOC and flock to these more socialist and extreme candidates. uh, So he's trying to sort of appease them and at the same time tell the rich people who are going to finance his campaign, hey, don't worry, it's not going to be too bad. I'm not going to mess things up for you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't usually work out very well. I, I'm very interested to see how Joe Biden survives in this current environment. Because what's happening, Bernie Sanders... Is that an old joke? What? How he survives. I'm just kidding. How he survives? Just he's because he's so old. Because he's so old. Everybody's that old. Not as old as Bernie. He's not as old as Bernie. And he's not as young as Elizabeth Warren, who is not, old, not young. She's quite old as well. But Elizabeth Warren is starting to rise in the polls a little bit. She's kind of being seen as the consensus candidate between the AOC extremes, the Bernie extremes, and the Joe Biden moderates. She's seen as somebody who can be kind of on both sides of that. I think that Elizabeth Warren is probably a really weak choice to go up against Donald Trump. Yeah. Because I don't think she has the kind of temperament that can handle Donald Trump mocking her 24 hours a day. And I think Joe Biden does. I think Joe Biden can get in that scrap and can kind he of... He probably doesn't use Twitter, so he doesn't see any of the tweets. What? Because he, he doesn't understand <laughs> he it. He doesn't understand it? Uh, that may well be. But Donald Trump, you know, a lot of the polls... Donald Trump just fired one of his internal pollsters. Because the, a bunch of polls were leaked out of the White House that showed Donald Trump losing and losing badly in all of the swing states. And they kind of tried to play that off. First, they tried to deny that that polling data existed. Then they shot an airstrike over into Syria. Right. Just right. kidding. Yeah, they wagged Well, what's, what's in the air? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a military airstrike. Yeah, it's the equivalent of saying, look, what's over there? Although we haven't launched a strike yet against Iran, so that may change. Wait, by the time this, this is a, this is a topic change. Who, who was the country that killed the journalist? Oh, that's Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's in the news too because Donald Trump, the Senate, a Republican Senate, 
they've passed a law that they have rejected Donald Trump's uh, emergency sale of arms to Saudi Arabia. Due, I think, in part to what happened to that journalist. Wait, emergency sale? What do you? What is that? Well. So Donald I'm sounding Trump, so dumb this whole podcast. <laughs> this is embarrassing. You represent the audience. Everybody out there is You're saying, calling your audience dumb? No, no. They turn to well, us. Well, you're, you're do, old, so. Yes. You're, the audience is young. Do you even know what a tweet is? Do I know what a tweet I'm is? I'm just kidding. I always tweet about this podcast every week when we publish it. So anyway, I don't like Twitter very much, though, because that's because I'm old. I think Twitter is like, eh, yeah, it's just a bunch of noise. Yeah. I'm trying to pull away from all social medias. They just, I don't know. Yeah. They kind of get to you after a while. They do indeed. But what happened was, as commander-in-chief, Donald Trump authorized an emergency sale of arms to Saudi Arabia. And the Senate has passed a revolution, resolution. Sale, like S-A-L-E? S-A-L-E, yes. Like, selling we arms. We were selling, why? Well, uh, with all of the instability you have to check all of your wikipedia pages to figure out why but with all of the instability in the middle east that saudi arabia wants weapons saudi arabia wants to be able to defend itself and the senate doesn't think that's necessarily a good idea citing to some degree what happened with this journalist yeah and president trump has said he's going to veto that but so you even have republicans the resolution was sponsored by lindsey graham who's one of the most obsequious Trump toadies in the Senate. Yeah. And so this is a, there's tension within the Republican party over these kinds of things. Trouble in paradise. Trouble in paradise going forward. So you look at this and you go, okay, so Donald Trump's in trouble. There's no way Donald Trump can possibly be reelected. Trump's explanation for that now is that polls just don't work anymore. We're just too complicated a society for polls to work. His pollster has come out and said, yeah, don't pay any attention to any of these. So when I anybody... Know, I kind of agree. He showed us that when all the polls had him losing by a landslide and then he won. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know how useful polls are these days. Well, polling methodology is very tricky because it used to be... I remember in 1992 when my father first ran for the Senate, we all just stayed up all night making phone calls. And you would make phone calls to people's homes on their landlines and they were home and they would answer and they would talk to you. And now you can't do that anymore. I do not answer any numbers that are unknown in my cell phone. You know that I hate robocalls. Hate them. You know the next hate them. The next iPhone operating system is going to allow you to not take any calls that you don't know. It's going to be a great way, I think. Wait, but you are allow you to? What do you mean? Well, so you can turn it on so that you will not take any unknown calls. Oh. It goes straight to voicemail oh. if it's an unknown call. I have an app that's supposed to screen them, and it's my number has gone down a little bit, but I still get tons that. Well, and my pe- car warranty's expired, my credit card debt, my st- and oh, I'm yeah. just like, hi, how are you? This is so and so from the warranty department. Yeah, well. Anyways, polling is kind of tricky and difficult, but uh, they have made strides in terms of adapting to that. I don't understand how they do it, but there's one guy and there are a number of people who agree with him who thinks that Trump is cruising to reelection. I want to talk about that when we get back from our break. Do you know who Pierce Morgan is? Um, no, no, yes, no. Well, he was Larry King's replacement on CNN for about five minutes. 
and then collapsed and everybody thought he was this he's british oh he's wait yeah arrogant. he's the worst i hate him yeah i know who he is and he got mad at ariana grande once for wearing too revealing of clothing oh i didn't know that he's dumb well here's That's, my entire opinion of him is based off of that basically i don't know he says a lot of inflammatory stuff just to be inflammatory well, and that may be this latest column that he's written where he says, he begins by saying the polls don't look good for Donald Trump. I mean, by any normal yardstick, the president is heading for a defeat in the 2020 election. And, and they... What does he know? He's British. <laughs> well, uh, the British have their own challenges now with uh, Theresa May stepping down. They're terrified that uh, Boris Johnson is going to become the new prime minister. Oh, no. And don't want to get into that. But he uh, he says, he talks about Trump's 2020 campaign launch in Orlando, Florida. He said, Trump exuded the confident, all-conquering swagger of someone who defied all polls and logic last time and fully intends to do so again. And I, it is true that if you look at the Trump rallies, you look at the Trump faithful, these are not people who are demoralized who think that their guy's going to go down in flames. And I compare it to 2004 when I was a huge Bush supporter. Uh, and all of us huge Gosh, Bush supporters. Gosh, you were insufferable back then. Wasn't I, though? I remember being seven and thinking, my dad is the worst. Well, there you go. Well, sorry about that. But we were Too little at, too late. Too little too late. As a Bush supporter, even then it was, oh, it was hard to rally around him. He was kind of frustrating, and he didn't feel like he had the kind of momentum that was going to – he wasn't inspiring anybody. And I may be conflating that with later on in his second term when pretty much everybody had abandoned George W. Bush. George W. Bush just depressed everybody. And his approval ratings, I think, were lower than Trump's approval ratings are now. But the difference is that Trump's supporters are so fired up and so engaged that it would be a mistake to think, okay, well, all of this traditional polling is is right on the money. I, I think usually when people start telling me, well, don't trust the polls, the polls are generally accurate. But there is a phenomenon that's known as the shy voter. It, it, or in Britain, they call it the shy Tory voter because the Tories would win elections where the polling would show that they didn't. And what they determined was that people weren't really happy to tell pollsters. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of this. You know, it's the Bradley effect. I remember when I was in California and Tom Bradley, mayor of of Los Angeles, was running for governor against George Duke Majin. And every poll showed Tom Bradley winning. And George Duke, Duke Majin won handily. And they called that the Bradley effect because Bradley was an African-American. And people didn't want to tell pollsters that they were not going to vote for an African-American because they thought they would look racist if they did. And I, abs- I don't know. I feel like correlation isn't causation. I don't know. Well, I absolutely think there is a big chunk of the electorate that supports Donald Trump that doesn't like to tell people they support Donald yeah. Trump. I, I, I absolutely, I know these people. I talk to these people on a daily basis. 
They are people who say, I'm happy with what Wait, Trump is. Wait, are you one? I am not one. You're secretly a Trump supporter? I am not secretly a Trump supporter. I am happy. Show me your closet. There's a MAGA hat in there. Right, right. I am happy with a few of the things that Trump has done. I, I've had some conversations with people, I mean, during Supreme Court nominations. I thought, well, I really like who Trump's nominated, and I want oh to keep my, my head gosh, down. I am not talking about Kavanaugh again. I don't, well, I didn't want to bring up names. You gross disgusting don't, just kidding don't want to bring up names but the thing is whenever i am happy and it's been few and far between but i've been happy with some of the things trump has done i don't want to go out and tell everybody that i'm embarrassed by that i don't want anybody to think oh well jim bennett now he's a big trump fan right, so and there are people who have been quietly supporting donald trump who don't want people to know about it and i think those people are saying in their polls oh sure yeah i'll vote for joe biden but I, but polls are anonymous. That doesn't make any sense. It's not like you're in front of all your peers and someone comes up to you with a microphone and is like, who are you going to vote for? Well, yeah. that doesn't make sense to me. Have Why? you ever answered a poll, like a phone poll? No. Uh, you, you can get a sense of what it is the pollster wants you to say. Uh, at least in my experience, you can, because, well, maybe I'm just sitting there because whenever I get polled, I sit there and try to say, okay, who is it that's paying for this poll? Uh And because sometimes it's a push poll where they say, did you know that this other candidate, you know, eats babies and is a terrible person? And then it's very clear who's paying for the poll. But there is the power of suggestion, even in that kind of an environment is very, very strong. And the idea that it's anonymous they know who you are. The pollster has your phone number. They found you. Uh, they know who you are. I think people are very wary in any kind of circumstance. And because it's anonymous, because they're not accountable, what's to keep them from lying? What's to keep them from saying something that they just want the person on the other end of the phone to think better so of? So if everything is chaos, what's the point of anything? Well... We might as well just quit and just run out into the wild and... Yes, that's the that, message. Is a, what is what, this? Is so, well, polls are accurate, but they're often not. But sometimes they are. But usually they're not. And off, people lie, but sometimes they don't. But they also tell they also tell the truth. But sometimes they. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, getting a perfect poll is impossible, and you have to deal with all of these kinds of things. And the only thing that I can look at are broad trends, and the broad trend seems to be that there is such a thing as a shy Trump voter. And so when you see these polls that say that Donald Trump is doomed, I take them all with a grain of salt. But, and it's also way too early anyway. So, so we don't have all the answers, but we will be here. But we'll conduct a poll to get them. That's correct. In the meantime, if you're listening to this on the radio, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that at iTunes or the KSL Podcast Center. Until next week, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. We'll see you next time on Dinner Table Politics.